The following presentation was recorded at the Newbury Buddhist Monastery, Victoria, Australia. Please visit our website at nbm.org.au. So, welcome everybody. Bhantabodhi Dajja here from Newbury Buddhist Monastery. And we did a series, or we started with a series last time, the series on the four Brahma Viharas. So the first one we've already done. So today it's the turn of the second Brahma Vihara. And as you might remember from last time, we were talking about the darkness that is there in the world or in our own hearts and the light that will come and shine forth the light of a pure and unobstructed, unhindered mind. And that mind has four qualities. And those four qualities are the four Brahma Viharas. And as I coined them last time to try and give them a little bit of a modern name, which is actually quite close to the translation Brahma, is like the highest god and also the word brahma can mean highest so and vihara is a place where you settle or where you reside so i decided to call them um, for this series the, or for a series i've done in the past with the relax and grow um, uh, retreat meditation group the four highest hangout places for the mind so here are the four when the slides advance number one is metta number two is karuna number three is mudita and number four yes my slides are still a bit slow we changed the computer here but um it's better than last time and also to give those ones a bit of a modern name um, I have changed that slightly around there as well and called them love, care, joy, and balance. And in every uh, one of those talks, we try to go a little bit more into depth, bring in a few suttas as well um, to back up what they have to say about those beautiful states and uh, then you know share a few stories and i've also tried to create a path to all those states so it shows you where it, the journey starts and the different obstacles on the way how to hopefully overcome them and then trying to define what the aim what the purpose or how it looks like when those states are actually in place and shining forth so, and for myself, I always found it a little bit difficult to make a distinction between the two, um, Metta and Karuna, because I felt they were so closely connected to each other. And I found a quote from His Holiness the 14th Dalai Lama that actually says the same thing that supports my feeling here. And he says, the Buddhist, in the Buddhist tradition, Compassion and love are seen as two aspects of the same thing. Compassion is the wish for another being to be free from suffering, and love is wanting them to have happiness. So happiness is the absence 
of suffering. So it is basically two sides of a coin in that sense. But with all the Brahma Viharas, I think Metta and Karuna, love and care are really, really close together. But even the other aspects are all aspects of one mind state, one deep, bright mind state. And they help us to focus on different aspects of that one thing. Uh, it just reminds me of uh, one thing that Ajahn Brahm sometimes says when we try to take things apart a little bit and analyze them. He says it's like a cup of tea for him being English. So, of course, the cup of tea is one thing, but you can focus on different things uh, in that cup of tea. It can be the warmth of the cup of tea, it can be the flavor, it can be the sweetness, it can be the color, whatever it is. So, but it is one cup of tea. And I also believe that the Metta Viharas are one state of mind that has many different aspects that can be um, more emphasized or more pronounced or um, less pronounced. So we work to make sure that all these aspects come together like they come together in a beautiful cup of tea. <laughs> okay, let's go to the next slide. And um, yes, here we go. I tried to gather a few questions about um, care and I hope I will be able to elaborate and answer those questions. So how can we behold? Behold is such a beautiful word. It means like observe, be with. How can we touch? How can we connect with? How can we befriend and embrace suffering? With metta, we embrace the beautiful things, focus on those things. With karuna, we embrace even the difficult things and suffering. Uh, well, with metta actually as well. <laughs> How can we ease, soothe, alleviate the suffering in this world and within ourselves? Big questions. Also, how can we enjoy each other's company or our own company when we are by ourselves or even when we are in relationship with others, despite adverse circumstances? No matter how bad, inadequate or lost we might be feeling at that moment in time. So let's do a little bit of uh, defining like we did uh, last time. So how could we define this beautiful quality of caring? And two words that struck me as useful and helpful to bring in here are the words attention and connection. So we are often very disconnected or we are often very distracted from um, yeah, all sorts of things, but even more so from suffering. So it is important to find this soft, gentle, beautiful attention to be able to connect and then to respond. And as we did last time, we have a bit of a definition there for those states. But first, a quote from John Tarrant, which uh, I found out is a Zen priest. 
He said, attention is the most basic form of love. Through it, we bless and are blessed. And how true that is. If we really were to attend in that way, like Karuna um, suggests, then we would be a blessing for the world and for ourselves. Okay, then uh, the definition, uh, if I can switch the slide here. Yep, uh -huh. a bit unresponsive, here we go. So, caring. The definition is the wish and the motivation to alleviate suffer suffering. So important here, which I would like to emphasize, it's not just the wish, it is also the motivation to spring into action, to respond. And then we have the kindling agent, which is also, I think, a good idea. We, we think of it as a fire that needs to be kindled before it can you know, start to um, become warm and really hot. And how do we do that? In this case, we are reflecting on or we are seeing the pain and the suffering, which is a difficult thing to do. But that's why I added that but there, the plus, the release from it. And I hope I can go into a little bit more detail about this later. So we need to get in touch with the suffering. We need to acknowledge the suffering, but we also need to make sure that we don't get lost in it, that we don't get dragged down by it. Um, I think it's called empathic distress in psychology um, if we get overwhelmed by it. Okay, so that's a little bit of a definition here to start off. And then I would like to go to the suttas to find a little bit of backing there first of all. So we have been looking at removing resentment. Uh, the sutta in the Anguttara Nikaya uh, in the books of five, 162 and we've already covered the first three and now I would like to look at number four. How should you get rid of resentment for a person whose behavior by way of body and speech is impure and who doesn't get an openness and clarity of heart from time to time? So this is now the most difficult part. We are dealing with a person that has uh, bad speech, bad bodily behavior, and it's impure, and they don't even have, you know, this openness of mind and clarity every now and then. So before, we would ignore the bad things, and we would focus on the, on the good things. But now, in this case, it seems, for whatever reason, the person or the situation is such that it's really, really, really difficult to find anything positive. But even then, in the face of adversity, in the face of suffering, we can deal with it. And how do we deal with it? Suppose a person was traveling along a road and they were sick, suffering, gravely ill. And it was a long way to a village, whether ahead or behind. And they didn't have any suitable food or medicine or a competent carer or someone to bring them to the neighborhood of a village. So I would like to focus on the words sick, suffering, and gravely ill. So Ajahn Brahm often encourages us, and of course the Buddha, as you can see here in this sutta, encourages us if there is suffering, 
in this world to see this suffering as a sickness. And the sickness is something you can't really blame a person for. It's part of our human condition to get sick every now and then. And there is this hopefully innate wish in all of us when we are enough clear-headed at the time to want to reach out and to alleviate that suffering. And that's how the sutta carries on. So then another person comes traveling along the road and sees that person and thinks of them with nothing but compassion, kindness, and sympathy. Oh, may this person uh, get suitable food or medicine or a competent carer or someone to bring them to the neighborhood of a village. So a beautiful description here of what karuna, what caring, what compassion is sometimes the word used there as well, um, looks like. And then why is that? So that they don't come to ruin right here. And the Buddha goes in a little bit more detail even and says in the same way at that time, you should ignore that person's impure behavior by way of speech and body and the fact that they don't get an openness and clarity of heart from time to time. And think of them with nothing but compassion, kindness, and sympathy. Oh, may this person give up bad conduct by way of body, speech, and mind, and develop good conduct by way of body, speech, and mind. And again, here we are focusing on sila. Sila is the foundation. Sila is what we are sowing and what will bear results in the, in the future, in, in the present as well, from the past, but also mainly in the future. And it focuses here on body, speech, and mind. So we reflect that if the person is behaving in a bad way, there will be bad consequences. And it's like I described before, it is like a sickness that we wish that they wouldn't have to suffer from. Why is that? So that when their body breaks up after death, they're not reborn in a place of loss, a bad place, the underworld, or even hell. So it ties back to kamma and to the understanding that we can't run away, that we can't get away, that there is a responsibility that we have in that sense to respond in a wholesome way to have wholesome results and not in an unwholesome way to have unwholesome results. So that's how to get rid of resentment for that person from the Anguttara Nikaya 5s, 162. So a bit of Sutta reference there and really, really, really beautiful. I really enjoy um, reading this one and really kind of getting into it with feeling and connecting to how someone would care for someone who is sick. And with Metta, of course, we described this like the mother who cares for her own child, but this should be also practiced to people who uh, are not our children, who are not from our you know, background or the same race or whatever it is that might be a little bit different from the outside, but actually 
much, much more connected to us from the inside. Because we all have this beautiful mind. So if we can do things in this way, then we can realize that it's not helpful to blame or judge um, other people, but rather to ask ourselves, what are the factors and forces making this person act in this way? And if we consider it in this way, if we see it like a sickness that has causes and conditions, how did the sickness come to be? This should actually make it much more easier for us to gain understanding, to have forgiveness and to care for those people. But then, of course, always also to care for ourselves. If a sickness comes, we ask ourselves, what are the causes and conditions that come about to cause this sickness? And then also realizing that everyone, everyone is looking for happiness. The mind is always looking for happiness. But the difficult thing is that very often we are confused about what happiness truly is and how we can be happy, how we can be free from suffering. Same thing, isn't it? Happiness, freedom from suffering, two sides of the same coin. Good, so that gives us a little bit of backing from uh, that uh, nice sutta there that I have been using and will be using for the Brahma Viharas. And let's now go to the journey from not being caring to being caring. So from don't care to caring, from indifference and inaction to acceptance and action. But before I go into the next slide, I just wanted to spend a little bit of time here because it can be, I don't know, a bit, um, confusing or a bit unclear. So we do talk about action here, but very often we get into something and we, you know, try to make things better, but because we don't do it in the right way, um, we make things worse. So in German, we have this beautiful word, which is called Verschlimmbessern. And if you try to translate it into English, it basically means um, uh, uh, making, well, yeah, I, I can only translate the meaning of the word, um, making something worse instead of better, even though you are trying to better it. And so sometimes the word action can be a bit confusing there. And that's why I put the word acceptance in there and why I also talked about motivation before. So the motivation is the important part. But very often in Buddhism, we have to learn to let go. And letting go, is it an action or is it an inaction? It's one of those really, really difficult things. So it just means having an attention, having a motivation, moving in a certain direction, and also relaxing and accepting at the same time. So that's why these terms can be a bit confusing. I hope I haven't confused the matter even more uh, and made it a little bit more clear. Okay, let's start on the journey to Karuna together now though. So we have this beautiful road 
And this time we have these lovely teddy bears at the end of the road there. So that's where we are trying to get to, um, to that beautiful hill watching the sunrise or the sunset or whatever it, it, it might be. And we always start where we are. So depending where your mind is, it might be easy to have access to Karuna, to caring, or it might be a little bit more difficult. And that really varies. So don't think of this road, you know, I'm here and I'll always be here. It really, really depends. Sometimes you go straight into the um, deep um, caring. Sometimes you are quite removed from it. So we start at the bottom here and the bottom is usually the opposite of caring, the don't caring. So it's even putting more on top of it. So the word that is often used here is cruelty. So instead of caring, you're actually adding suffering. You're taking joy even in suffering. So that again, another German term that I think a lot of people have heard before because it's one of those words that can't be translated again, Schadenfreude. Schaden is like harm and Freude is happiness. So you are happy that harm is being done. And the catchphrase that I used for this one here is you deserve it. So we are thinking for some strange reason that there other these people out there, uh, these animals out there, this planet out there, whatever it might be, we are superior and they deserve to suffer or they don't have feelings or whatever the excuse might be. And we might even take pleasure in this. So this is definitely the far enemy as it is called, which is the furthest away from what caring actually means. If we muster a little bit of caring in our hearts, one of the obstacles that might arise on the path is fear, is overwhelm, is despair. And the catchphrase that could be used for this is, I don't want to know. Fear is actually also something which makes us turn away from looking at what is actually happening. And that's also where this indifference kind of comes in. Indifference very often um, can have to do with, uh, with, with this fear of not being able to face what is going on. If we carry on on the path a little bit higher there, we start to go into the blaming games or in the um, emotions that arise when suffering is there, we might feel anger. Very natural, it's not a problem, but the question is how do we respond and how do we use this energy of anger? So the catchphrase there could be, it's all uh, your fault or it's all my fault. So the problem is if anger arises and we start to blame, then we start to move away from a solution, from um, solving the problem. We basically just make it worse. And we start to look for people to, um, uh, well, to blame. I mean, it, it doesn't mean that there isn't accountability and that accountability is something that is important. And if there is mistakes, being made that they're pointed out in a nice way and addressed, but to attack um, 
yourself or someone else um, is basically not a very helpful response. So that leads us to judgment and shame, uh, which is very closely related there to the blame as well. So we might be thinking if a person gets into a tricky situation, um, if a person, I don't know, gets COVID or whatever it might be, or um, some, something else, but that just comes to mind because it's happening around, around the world, that instead of seeing, oh, this person is sick, oh, how can I care, how can I help, how can I support, we go and say, see, I told you so. You should have done this, you should have done that, you should have <laughs> And there is some justification, of course, if we're not careful, then that will have results, but it is not a helpful response. And if we do the same thing towards ourselves, it's not a helpful response either. So if we get into a situation, for example, where people catch COVID, then we care for them, we help them. Look at all those healthcare workers that are really working so hard to help so many people who are suffering from that illness itself and also all the families and the friends of those people. They do their utmost, they pour their hearts out, they physically really strain themselves to be caring, to be compassionate. What a beautiful thing that is. And if you stop that, if you hinder yourself by getting caught up in judgment, in shame, in blame, and in anger, the energy which could go into healing, which could go into solving, actually gets used up, gets dispersed. Um, it just doesn't have the same oomph and power that it could have otherwise. Good, next step, be, be belittling. It's not that bad. And uh, yes, I can see that in my own mind, and I'm pretty sure if you think about it yourself, you will be able to find situations yourself. But what is so important here? With care, with empathy, we are trying to put ourselves into the shoes of the other person, walking a mile in someone else's shoes, as the saying goes. And little things for one person might be huge things for another person. And the other way around, huge things for one person will be a little thing for another person. It really depends so much on the circumstances. And that just reminds me of one other thing that came to mind when I was thinking about this, and that is deaths, that is um, um, uh, grief, loss that happens. And for some people, losing a pet or losing another person or losing a job or whatever it is, losing something can be a little thing, can not mean that much, losing your health, for example, as well. Uh, but for other people, it can really kind of pull out the rug under their feet. So a good thing to ask someone who is going through um, loss, uh, say in the case of having lost a, a beloved person, is not to just say, you know, I'm sorry for you that you have to go this through this, it must be hard, it must be this, it must be that, kind of imposing on them what you think it must be like, rather asking them, how is this loss for you? 
what does this passing of this person, what does the losing of the job mean for you? And then we can learn to connect to what is actually happening in that person rather than our own concepts that we have in our uh, brains, in our minds, in our hearts, or from our experiences from the past. Good. When we carry on on the journey a little bit further, we get to insensitive, insensitivity, impatience, and reactivity. So a catchphrase here is, come on, get your act together. Again, I think this goes a bit hand in hand with belittling because we're feeling like, ah, come on, you know, it's not so bad and be a bit more cheerful and way, just be more positive or whatever. Um, sometimes, especially with mental health, some things can have a very deep impact. And it's not just about, you know, flicking a switch. It does happen if we do the right things, the switch does flick, but it doesn't flick by someone just telling you, get over it get your act together. It actually comes by feeling heard, by feeling seen, by feeling understood, by feeling supported. But uh, we will be talking about the positive aspects later. Next one, helplessness. So there was a book, I, I think I've never read it actually, <laughs> but the title of the book was The Helpless Helpers. And if we come into a situation and we have this we don't have any confidence. We don't have any grounding. We are overwhelmed, as I uh, described before. Then we come into the situation with, what can I do? And as Kema always said very nicely, then instead of having one person suffering, we have two people suffering. We have double dukkha. And in German, again, because it's my one of my native languages, we have two words. We have mitleid and we have mitgefühl. Mitleid means suffering with, and mitgefühl means feeling with. And I will be um, going into what the difference there is a little bit later. But in German, we have two words. In English, I don't think they exist in that way. Next one, we go into overactivity. So there is also two responses we can have. We can uh, underfunction if something goes wrong, we can shut down or we can overfunction. We can start to micromanage. We can start to go into fixing mode. And that is what I tried to describe before with being too active and thinking, I know, I know exactly what's going on. You need to do this, 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 this. And you know, we try to control the situation. And as Ajahn Brahm said very, very nicely here, the difference between caring and curing. So the job of a healthcare professional, any job of a carer, is not really to cure. Cure is a beautiful side effect that happens. But the groundwork, the most important thing, is to actually be caring along the way. Because sometimes suffering can't be alleviated to the degree that we would wish to. Sometimes it can, but I believe that the curing is always growing out of the caring there as well. Next one, feeling responsible. So uh, I don't know for yourself as a carer or uh, if you have children or for myself, you know, I was caring for disabled people in the past. Um, I was also a primary school teacher and it can very easily happen that you start to identify with the people you're trying to help with. 
and identify in an unhealthy way so that you think it is your problem. You have to make it good again. You have to fix it. And you can't fix it in the other person. You can support the other person to find the means and resources to fix the problem themselves, to alleviate the suffering within themselves. So you're giving them tools, you're giving them the right atmosphere, but you can't impose it on them and you shouldn't feel bad about their suffering because it is their suffering and ultimately it is just suffering. I know this sounds very easy, uh, but it's, uh, no, sorry, it sounds very simple, but it is not easy to um, uh, understand that step. But suffering is part of the equation in our world and we can't avoid it and we have to learn to face it. Next one and the last one, oh no, yeah, maybe the last one, not, not quite yet, is taking it on, which is very um, kind of similar there as well, but it's taking it on in a way that you are feeling bad for another person. As I described before, dukkha, adding more dukkha, double dukkha or triple dukkha or even more dukkha, that is not really helpful there. And the last one, which might be quite close to um, caring, but the, this is the um, close enemy, as it's called, and it's pity. It's feeling for. It's having this kind of like, oh, you're poor thing. And again, what is not right about this is we are not meeting the person on the same level. We are saying, oh, you are suffering. Uh, it's so bad. And we're kind of like looking down on the other person. Um, uh, yes, so that is not a helpful way to see this, but it's edging closer and closer to what caring actually needs. Right, so after having gone through all these scenarios and all these hurdles, let's have an actual look. So here, first of all, if you want to stop the video afterwards on YouTube and just go through them um, and think about them uh, on your own terms, please do so. That's why I've uncovered them all here for you. And then we go to the hill at the end of the road and let's talk about how it actually is when caring is present. One way of describing it is that we have a genuine interest, first of all. So we do ask the other person, how are you? But not just the, you know, how are you? How are you? Back and forth. And uh, if someone says, oh, I'm horrible, um, you don't even think about it and just say, oh, oh you know, um, uh, very good, um, bye. <laughs> so a genuine interest into what is going on in another person, how they might be feeling, how they might be faring. Next one is striving to understand. And again, here also, as I said before, asking, tell me more, give me more information. How does it feel for you? Um, I'll have a few questions afterwards that I'll read out for you that um, will help with um, uh, this part here. Next one, reaching out. So this is the motivation, the springing into action, so to speak, but with a heart, with an open heart, spacious heart, with letting go at the same, same time. Can I help? Can I um, assist? And um, we did have mental health uh, week in Australia recently, 
and uh, WA had a nice summary of a few questions that could be asked um, uh, when you are working with people who are suffering, who have mental um, illness or also physical illness. And I just wanted to read out a few of those so you have a bit of an understanding or some tools what might be helpful. So how are you feeling today? What do you find helps you feel better? Instead of me saying, do this, do that. What makes you feel better? Is there anything small you can do today that will make you feel better? Are there any things that make it worse for you? So giving the people the understanding, the tools to um, investigate where the sickness comes from so that the sickness that we described can be addressed. Then we can offer, can I help, can I assist, but in a way that is not pushy and that gives the other person space. Would it be useful if I checked in on you regularly? How would you like me to support you? So how would you like me to support you? Not how would I like to support you? Would you like me to accompany you anywhere? Is there anything I can help you with at home or at work? Very often it's small little things that are so difficult for people who have, for example, lost a loved one. So just ordering a meal for them or cooking a meal for them and dropping it off or whatever, uh, things like that can be really, really helpful doing their washing and doing their shopping, whatever it might be. Or can we do something together? And you can offer some suggestions, you know, coffee, a walk, whatever it might be, um, a chat uh, online if you can't meet in person. Uh, yeah, well, whatever it might be there. So please, um, uh, you can also offer them. Please reach out to me if you need to talk or want to have some company or some support. So I hope these are some suggestions that can be helpful if you are um, caring for another person, if you're trying to develop this beautiful caring quality. Okay, let's go back to the slides and have a look at the next one here, which is listening. So we've been going through quite a lot of talking here. It's good, that is an activity. That activity and motivation is important, but then the space that we create, the atmosphere that we create is even more important. And listening, I couldn't really find a catchphrase there, isn't it? Basically, it just means attention, silence. And when you are silent, and when you are attentive, when you are tender, when you are open, what happens then is that you can start to feel. So that's the next one there. <laughs> you can start to feel and connect with that person. So you are resonating, you're tuning into what someone is feeling. But what I always try to stress here is that we understand we are resonating. It's not us suffering. It is us reverberating with what is going on in another person and trying to put ourselves in their shoes and trying to feel what's going on. 
but the connection happens like on the outside of our being so to speak if you want to see yourself as a as a lake then it's that lake being touched that lake being rippled a little bit by what is happening in that other person getting that information in getting that feeling in through the connection but that body of water that you are has so many other parts that are stable that are equanimous so we will be talking about that later when we talk about balance so you are connecting you are feeling but it's not your burden it's not your feeling it is just the connection that happens but without that connection um, we are not really in touch what is going on in the other person so that connection is essential but we don't jump into their lake head over heels we stay in our own lake and we connect and we touch okay so that is feeling with instead of suffering with next one is comforting and reassuring so that was a bit of a difficult one for me to find some catchphrases the one here it's it says it's okay it will change i tried to put as much information as i could into there but i will be going in a bit more detail what that actually means and the words that i've uh, written down here for myself to elaborate a little bit now is this is hard this is difficult the acknowledgement you can be with this you can hold it gently and give it space one breath at a time one step at a time and then this too shall pass so this catchphrase is kind of trying to put all these things together next one being with that's almost a little bit like listening it's very hard to put a phrase on it but the nice phrase that we can put there is you are not alone we can say it out loud but it's speaking much more louder than words if we are actually there if we just are with the person and if we are with the person then we are breaking the identification that a person might have with their suffering so we are telling them you are not your suffering no matter what the situation is you belong and i appreciate your presence i appreciate being with you no matter what you do matter um, uh, removed from all the circumstances that this suffering might have brought into this world okay so that's the descriptions on what caring might look like and feel like again here is the slide if you want to stop the video later down the track and do a little bit more investigation for yourself what these terms mean if those catchphrases make sense for you or if you have your own um, ways of explaining them feeling into them wonderful next one is care and kindness towards others is usually what we spend a lot of time on talking about but equally important is to also have care kindness respect tenderness towards ourselves and that picture that i found online uh, already i think 
maybe a few years ago now, is just so beautiful. Uh, um, it, it kind of really kind of puts self-compassion, as it's often called, um, uh, in, in a picture that says much, much more than so many words can. The messiness, the suffering of the world, but nonetheless, the acceptance, the embracing, the holding, the caring. So let's see how it is defined by Kristin Neff and Christopher Germer. Um, they talked about three elements of self-compassion there that I just would like to um, first uh, enumerate and then um, uh, describe. So first one is mindfulness as the opposite of over-identification. Second one is common humanity, uh, opposite versus isolation. And number three is self-kindness versus self-judgment. So let's go in a little bit more detail here. So the important part there is also that they are saying one side of the coin is compassion, is caring. The other side is shame. The opposite is shame. So if you are self-compassionate, then you are mindful. Mindfulness means seeing without judgment, um, seeing it clearly, turning towards it and not turning away, but not getting over-identified. So shame is always identifying yourself or someone else that has to be blamed, as I described before. Number two, very, very important, very nice, common humanity versus isolation. Common humanity means we are in this together. Suffering is normal. Suffering is part of the human condition. And if we understand that, then we have a sense of belonging again. Then we don't feel isolated. We know it's something that is happening to everybody out there in the world in different degrees, in different ways, but it is a common experience. And that's what makes us not feel left out and feel alone. And then the self-kindness, so important, the caring, um, and opposite to that is the judgment, the comparing, the shaming um, of the blaming of us and others. So if we want to try and put that in a little acronym, that's what I came up with a couple of um, also months or years ago already. So I'm using the word care to describe this process. And now I'm also trying to bring all these things together uh, towards the end of my talk. So number one, C stands for courage and C also stands for connection. Courage, I find a very important point. We've talked about fear before and courage is the opposite there, that we have enough confidence and courage to actually face what's going on, to bring the suffering to the, to, to, to the ground, well, how do you want to talk this, uh, call this, to, you know, have the rubber hit the road, bring the things together so it starts to become workable. If you're out of touch, you can't work with something. You need to be connected. You need to have the courage to go in there to the extent you can and to start the work. Next one is acknowledgement and accepting. So once we've made the step to connect, to feel the waves, the ripples on that lake, 
then we acknowledge and accept. So we, um, we know it's real. We know there is no way out. We know we have to face this in a gracious way. Next one is the R stays for re stands for resources and for reassurance. So we don't just go into this without the balance, the groundedness and the tools and the resources we need, the resources within ourselves, the resources we can access uh, from other people, from professionals, from programs, whatever it is. So we draw the energy for there, from there and we get the reassurance that someone else is there for us, that we are there for us, that um, there are um, supporting circumstances that we feel safe. And from that safety and from that groundedness, then we can start to um, become more active in that sense. And that activity comes from energy and from empowerment. So that will help us to work through, to accept and to transform whatever there might be. And energy and empowerment, I find very, very important here as well. So if we are in caring professions, if we're in helping professions, that's the crux, the last two, that we go in there, that we accept the situation, but then that we find the resources within ourselves, but within that person and offer it to that person so they can gain the energy back. They can empower themselves and step out or step in and accept the suffering. We can't do that for them. We can only do the process within ourselves, open the door, to that room, so to speak, to them, so they can feel the wafting out of what it feels like, what it is like, and then invite them to do the same process within themselves. So as well here, if you want to think about this um, acronym, CARE, please do so, um, and uh, find and see how these words resonate with you. And at this point, I wanted to bring you an example to hopefully elaborate a little bit on how care can be used and how it can manifest, manifest itself. So when I was around 25, one of my friends that went to teacher college with me and I was also helping her a little bit uh, when she was a teacher during one of the projects that they had, they had some kind of circus project for the whole school and they needed some more teachers and I was free at that time and uh, happened to be in Switzerland, not in Germany as, as usually at that time. But she had an aneurysm in her brain and that aneurysm one day led to a stroke and to her face and her whole side being paralyzed. Um, and they called in the ambulance and, and you know she went to hospital and all that. But um, it was so bad, the damage was so um, strong that Basically, they decided, I don't know after how long it was, that it was just so, so devastating what happened to her that they would switch off the machines. And I was fairly close to her and I was fairly close to her family as well. So I took my courage to connect to the people 
she actually still had some teaching material from me as well in her room. So we made an appointment. So I would go and meet them at their apartment. Um, I don't know, it must have been fairly fresh, a couple of weeks after her death. They were very, very kind to, you know, welcome me and to cook for me. And I still remember I came into the situation wearing white because at that time I was already part of the house community in Metavihara, in the monastery. Short hair, white clothing. <laughs> I apologized first thing, you know, usually you wear black, but I'm just wearing white all the time. So uh, it's not, I'm not trying to make a statement or whatever. So I went into the situation, didn't really know what to do, but just wanted to care was really touched by being able to speak to them, by being cared for by them even, you know, they are both uh, uh, working in hotels and in the kitchen there and everything. So they cooked for me, which was great. And then just to feel into how it must be for them instead of trying to, you know, uh, just have my ideas put on them. And the mother, she would describe how difficult it is, you know, she would go to places she would go with, her daughter, Sonia, in the past, and she would still imagine that she suddenly would appear. So she was still in this phase of denial, so to speak, of, of not being able to accept what has happened fully. Her father was already in another stage, and he basically, I'm not quoting him, basically said, it's, it's, it's scheiße, it's shit. So he was already at the point where he was able to connect with it and really feel it, though, and the impact of it. I felt a little bit bad in the whole situation because I felt quite stable and equanimous at that time. Of course, sad that she had to go and that uh, so early and that they lost her and that they are in this difficult situation. But I felt a little bit out of place. And then a beautiful thing happened. They brought out the book that the kids that she taught so she died over the weekend or she had to go to the hospital over the weekend and then the kids, you know, didn't have a teacher. She was a full-time first, second grade teacher for them. So they all drew little um, pictures and wrote letters and they just were so beautiful. They were describing all her beautiful qualities and I can even feel myself becoming emotional now. Describing her beautiful qualities. And some of them, I don't think they're Buddhist or anything, but they were wishing her a beautiful uh, next life and uh, a beautiful wherever she is now kind of thing. So they really got it. They really understood what mattered. They put it on a piece of paper. And when I flicked through all those pages, uh, maybe 20 kids or whatever it was, I had tears streaming down my face and I didn't feel that bad anymore because I felt it's like an appropriate response. But my tears were not tears of sadness. They were tears of joy. They were tears of caring, but of being touched. And that is, if Karuna really works, that is beautiful. So you tap into the resources. You tap into something which reassures you. The reassurance was her beautiful being, her beautiful actions that will have beautiful results. And that brought an energy and brought an empowerment to hold this situation, to respond to it appropriately. And um, yes, I also hope if you go through a process like that, of course you will cry. You will cry because of the loss. You will have denial. You will have anger. You will have all these different things coming up. But hopefully you will also have acceptance and you will also have the resources to 
and see it, to reframe it in a way that it can touch your heart and that this energy, this beautiful energy of Karuna, of caring, can bubble up and can um, uh, move you in uh, that situation. And that is basically a beautiful description how you cannot get stuck in the suffering, but use the suffering, uh, accept the suffering and transform the suffering. So um, on the next slide, there I'm trying to summarize again. So we are trying to have a sense of common humanity, of understanding, as well as seeing the possibility, the potential for resilience, for learning and for transformation. And also we realize this is the way things are right now, acceptance. How can I relate? How can I respond in the most kind and care caring way? So I hope this has given you a bit of um, insight, a bit of information, a bit of uh, hopefully you could also uh, reverberate with it. And on that note, I wish to finish the, the part where I'm speaking. And as we talked about care, caring, about the acronym care, I wish that we all please take care. One thing I would like to do though, before we um, go into the Q&A, um, like I do uh, most of the times with these talks, is to give you a bit of time to sit quietly and to try to connect to what I've spoken before and to use a little bit of a mantra and that you could use in a meditation as well to um, connect to this uh, feeling of caring. So please find a comfortable position, comfortable spot. Uh, if you can close your eyes, that would be beautiful. So you're not distracted too much by the world around you. And you can really drop into your body and your mind and feel the reverberation of what I'm going to read out, what I'm going to say. And this mantra again is from Kristin Neff, who um, has described the three elements of self-compassion there, and they are being used in this um, mantra as well. So maybe take a few deep breaths. Relaxing as you're breathing out, energizing and calming as you're breathing in. And then just let those phrases drop in and see how they resonate. This is a moment of suffering. This is difficult, this sucks. This is tough, whatever might be the right words. Suffering is a part of life. I'm not alone in this. 
this is universal. This is the way it is right now. Connecting, feeling, common humanity. And connecting with acceptance. Allowing. May I be kind to myself in this moment. May I be kind to you in this moment. Soft, tender, gentle, caring. May I give the compassion I need. May I give the compassion you need. May I care. May I hold and embrace. May I reassure. May I love unconditionally, forgive unconditionally. May my caring be limitless, boundless, And may I gain the energy, the empowerment, the clarity, the radiance through this kindness, through this care. So this is a moment of suffering. Suffering is part of life. May I be kind to myself or you in this moment. May I give the compassion I need. May I give the compassion you need. Okay, so you can open your eyes again, wiggle around, come back into this room, and we shall see if we have any questions that have come up. Langdon. Thank you so much, Bante and they're very wise and caring talk. Um, we have one question at the moment. It's not directly related to the topic of the talk, so I thought I'd just start with a question I have. Uh, sure. Something I've found when sitting with someone who is suffering, uh, who is uh, having some big problem, sometimes it, there's a trap you can fall into by trying to give them a sense of perspective that other people are suffering similar problems or maybe even worse problems in the world. And to, you're trying to give a sense of perspective, but it comes across to the other person that you are just belittling their suffering. You know, you are just saying, you know, well, you, why are you worried about that? 
yes. and they don't feel listened to. How how do you suggest that we avoid that trap? So um, Brene Brown describes this quite nicely as the kind of phrase at least. So you, you come into a situation and say at least it's like this or at least it's like that. So yeah, it is not that bad. But we wish to give a person perspective, yes, but it can come down the, the, the wrong way. So I think very, very important, first of all, is just to go in, to connect, to not be afraid of uh, what they are feeling and to connect to what they're feeling and to know that you're at that moment confident enough, grounded enough, um, that you can just sit with them. And once that has happened to a certain degree, then you can start to investigate with questions. As we said before, how, how do you feel? What is making you feeling bad? And then you can go into the area of what is making you feel good. Or you can try to encourage them to find ways of developing gratitude, because I think that's where it's actually pointing. If you're going to uh, try and switch someone's perspective, what you're trying to do is saying there is much worse things happening in the world, which is a truth, but it's very difficult to face it. But what are we trying to achieve with that truth? And my understanding and my feeling is we are aiming at gratitude. We are trying to give them a feeling of you don't have that suffering that another person has, which might be worse, but you want to approach it from the side of I'm grateful I have this instead of I don't have this uh, or, or I'm, 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 I'm put in a game where I'm compared with another person. So yeah, that, what, that's what comes to mind if you can somehow weave that in there. Um, or you can describe something which you find really beautiful which you are really grateful for and connect to that and then try to, as I said before, open the door to the other person to get a bit of connection to that. It reminds me of um, my sister's ex-husband's mother was dying in hospital of bone cancer and she was really, you know, uh, suffering a lot, a lot of pain and all these kind of things. And uh, I went to see her and give her a little blessing as a, I just became a monk around that time. And I came into the hospital room and the hospital in Lucerne in Switzerland is this huge building. And she had this beautiful big window right next to her bed, looking out over the valley and seeing the lake, Lake Lucerne and seeing Mount Pilatus and all the, all the other mountains in the background there. And I was just awestruck. I was just so happy to see that. And that's, what we are hoping to um, have the other person see as well. So in this case, it was a physical appearance. It was nature. It was beauty outside. It was awe. It was gratitude that I was generating and welling up. So if we want to paint that, so we try to make that picture for them and offer that as a reflection for gratitude. But of course, as I said in the beginning, the best way is if they can somehow find that uh, gratitude um, within themselves, within their own situation that they might still have. And that can shift them out and give them that perspective. 
The other thing is, even if they're really in a bad state, if they can do something for someone else, they're shifting out of this me, 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 self-identification, I'm so sad, I'm so sick, I'm so poor, poor thing, into I can actually do something for someone else. And it shifts from the self-absorbedness, <laughs> if you want to call it that, into this openness and, and seeing the common humanity, seeing the good, and then that can take root and start to grow in that other person. Um, yes, and another thing I remember when I was uh, a teacher, I went into a snow camp with some uh, kids and one of the kids had almost an accident uh, on her sledge coming down the, the, the mountain and she was so lucky, she actually went with the sledge into a house or into a shed which had an open door and it, it, it was long enough to slow her down so he wouldn't, she wouldn't crash into the wall. So she was really, really happy, but, or lucky, sorry. <laughs> but she was in shock. So all I could do is just sit with her, try to connect to what was going in, in her and try to have that groundedness, acceptance and empowerment within myself and then have that touch her lake and reverberate with her lake and calm those internal waves uh, within her. Anyway, that's what comes to mind. I hope this is helpful. My, may I also mention now before we go to the question, this time um, we don't just have a Sutta reference. So if you uh, have a look on the YouTube video at the bottom there in the, what is it called, in the video descriptions, there will be the Sutta from Sutta Central that I read out, but there will also be three other YouTube videos that I find uh, could be good resources about this topic that we are speaking about here. So uh, number one is, uh, 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 hang on, I have it written down here, so I can actually say it as it is. The first one is from the Royal Society of Arts in the UK. They make beautiful shorts uh, videos, RSA shorts they're called, they're animated, and it's Brene Brown talking about empathy, a couple of minutes, highly recommended. Then there is another video from the Greater Good Science Center, which takes you through a self-compassion, self-kindness meditation. So um, it's called Being Kinder to Yourself. And the last one is Ajahn Brahm's story of the anger-eating demon. So we don't get um, hung up or uh, bogged down in anger. So we learn how to um, deal with the anger-eating monster. There uh, is a an artist, I think in the US, uh, he calls himself Prince EA, and he used um, Ajahn Brahm's story of the anger-eating monster um, and told that kind of in a, in a funny way with nice uh, animations. He's, he's telling it like for kids, but it's actually not just for kids, it's, uh, it's for everybody. So if you want to check these things out, they will be down in the video description later. Okay, let's go to the question then. Thank you very much. Uh, Langdon, that makes sense, yeah. Yes, very much so. Thank you, Bhante. And we will add those links uh, at the end of the talk. So if you want to come back and watch those videos, you'll just need to perhaps um, refresh your YouTube page um, So at some point after the talk by 11 a.m., say, in Melbourne time, and you'll be able to access those links. 
Right, so Bhante, thank you. We have two questions at this stage, and we own our three questions. Okay. Uh, we have about seven minutes left. Yes. <laughs> All right, so just so you have a sense of the timing. Um, the first question is, after the Buddha's awakening, was he then in a permanent state of mind with loving kindness, compassion, joy, and equanimity? Or did he get in and out of these states as it suited him? Hmm. Good question. Um, I would reckon yes, but the thing is, I mean, these things are expressions of a purified, enlightened mind. But it's always where you put your attention in, in that moment or whatever comes and touches that mind. And then the response comes out of that. So, you know, if, if the Buddha would be um, in very deep states of meditation, for example, after his enlightenment, there would be equanimity only, or even that would start to fall away and it wouldn't be present at all. But I would say into the day-to-day -day life, it would always be accessible. It would always be there for him as a wholesome response to whatever would arise. And that's how um, I understand it as well. You know, you, you have certain experiences yourself of your mind being settled, of your mind being clear, of your mind being radiant. And then whatever you encounter, you, you, you tend to respond from that place that your mind kind of is in. But it, it yeah, does it radiate by yourself, by itself, or does it radiate as a response? I think there is a bit of, uh, both happening. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Good question. That's, that's my answer. <laughs> All right. Yeah, it's a very hard one to know, I think, for us who haven't reached that stage yet. Um, the next question is from someone who wrote, who wrote last week, I think, perhaps, or the week before also, and uh -huh. is um, still struggling with this issue. I'll, I'll read out the question. Okay. Uh, we don't have – you'll have to be quite succinct in your answers, unfortunately. Sure. Um, I am often bullied from people in society or from society, the person says, from people uh, who label me wrong, mm. who bully me because of a wrong record about me. Um, mm. I, I am trying to look for help for, for a year, but still no one helps me. Uh, then they put a clarification. I am bullied from the group because of my uh, ugly looking face. Okay. So I can't be loved for who I am, I think, from whom I loved. Mm. Um, so this is the person's issue, and I was wondering whether you have any thoughts for them. Sure. Thank you, Bhante. Yes, it, it, it sounds to me like a difficult situation, especially since you're describing that you're struggling with, with getting the support. Um, of course, I don't know where you are and, you know, what the circumstances are, if it's at school or if it's at a workplace or if it's in general. Uh, so, so whatever resources you, you, you can access, um, please don't give up. Please keep trying to do that. But another important resource is really to tap into the resources within yourself, to um, really firmly believe, to really get a visceral feeling of that beauty uh, which I will be talking about next, uh, Brahma Vihara, is something internal. That beauty comes from a pure, um, kind, um, good heart. 
that it comes from virtue and that is something you can establish within yourself that will give you confidence, that will give you happiness and then you will step out into the world uh, maybe a little bit different as well and then you will hopefully be able to step up to when things happen to also you know draw boundaries and say what is not okay or draw back in situations when you are in circumstances where things are handled in the wrong way but please keep on voicing what is happening keep on explaining to other people how how it feels for you internally so they can connect to that and please find your tribe please find the people who value what is really beautiful and hang out with those people and that will strengthen um uh, uh, you know that will strengthen uh, uh, and help to solve uh, hopefully this this situation uh, internally and also um uh, in in whatever community family classroom workplace workplace you might might be yeah and it is difficult for me this is not the place where we can really talk to each other and and know what's what's going on and we are not professionally also you know um, uh what's the word um trained to do these kind of things i hope um yeah that helps a little bit that's what i can offer next one thank you bante and just as a final a quick question. I've received advice lots of times to just let it go. Right. It's good that you mentioned that this is difficult. Any ideas of how to let things go? <laughs> just a quick answer for that one. That's a million dollar question. But I, I think, I hope I have described a little bit of a process there. A lot of people think letting go is, is uh, the same thing like pushing away. So letting go can't happen before we have taken hold of, before we have connected, before we have um, um, contacted. So if you just tell someone, as I said, get over it, uh, you know, let it go, <laughs> it, it just doesn't work that way. So you have to first hold it or have it on your hand and observe it, see it, understand it, and then it can let go by itself. I mean, that's another really beautiful thing. I um, I don't know if I can say it correctly. Um, Byron Katie kind of describes this process very, very nicely. So you, you can't let go of things, but you can meet uh, them with understanding so that they let go of you. So for me, it's like if something comes to you, a, a sickness, a child, a problem, a challenge, it's, it's like someone asking you for something and you get wound up with how they look like or how they feel like and you get wound up in your reactivity towards these people and then you actually just make, make it worse instead of hearing what that person actually wants. What does the sickness want to tell you? What, um, uh, what is the learning that we can get from this and for me the, the, the picture is the child who comes with a tantrum or with whatever it is and now you, you hold it you understand it and once the child has felt seen and understood then it doesn't pester you anymore because what made it come to you is not there anymore so you're trying to find out 
what is the energy that brings this thing to you that's the connecting and then how that energy can be resolved how it can flow through you how you can work with it how you can dance with it how you can whatever so that that energy that is blocked can flow um, flow naturally and easily again so a bit of a long-winded answer um, I hope that makes sense <laughs> so it's whatever comes comes with wanting to be seen wanting to belong wanting to be loved and when it is seen when it's understood when it is loved then it lets go by itself then it disappears by itself because the energy which brought it has been freed and it's not there anymore and we are not bringing this pushing away energy into it or the grabbing energy into it we're bringing the energy of holding it seeing it understanding it and then letting it go so we are letting it go so it comes and it goes by itself okay hope that makes sense <laughs> thank you bante in fact yes the person who wrote that question just wrote thank you bante yes makes sense good wonderful okay so have a lovely sunday or a lovely whatever it is when you watch this and yes be well and take care if you want to do a meditation on the care acronym i think i will try to do that tomorrow i've never done this before but let's see how it goes to use the acronym of care for a guided meditation okay bye bye take thank care thank you very much bante